Hey, tennis folks, welcome again to the Beyond the Swing podcast. Glad you're here. I've got a super um, awesome guest today, Howard Green. I'm sure many who have, who have Instagram have, uh, have seen Howard's stuff. Uh, he works with junior players primarily, uh, and his, his stuff online is, is just fantastic. The different uh, work he's been doing with, with junior tennis players uh, from strength to coordination to mobility, um, you name it. So um, I think we'll have a lot to talk about today. He is the founder of Tennis Supermovers. Um, we'll get into that uh, a little more, what that is and what that entails. He's also the head of SNC for for Bolton Arena Tennis. Um, he's an LTAD specialist. He's worked with, with pros, so he's been on the road with uh, Anna Ivanovic and other players from uh, Great Britain. So he definitely has a lot of experience working with a lot of different types of tennis players, all the way from kind of developmental to pros. So um, it'll be nice to, to, to hear his perspective on, on all those different players. So Howard, welcome, man. Appreciate you, you joining the call. Uh, is there anything I missed there that you wanted to add? No, I massively appreciate it. I mean, the only thing that I often add to my bio is that I was formerly in the Royal Marines as well. The Royal Marines Commando, and it's, it's not to big that up, but it's like it does shape me of who I am and the coach that I am, but also it's took me quite a while to crack what we can really use, but it's the concept of rehearsal. So how close does our training, be it physical or tennis, actually look and feel like the match court? Um and that boils all the way down to the warm-up. How close does that warm-up look like tennis? How, does, how close does it actually underpin the movements and the shapes that are going to be required in that session? Just rehearse them to a high level, both kind of technically, tactically, physically, and mentally. Absolutely. So I, I guess your, your past experience there has, has really influenced your coaching. Um, uh, can you can you elaborate a little bit on that? Like, how what type of mentality do you do you bring uh, that you've kind of developed over the years or during that time period in your life? Yeah, so it's not a, a it's not an autocratic coaching style or shouting and bawling and beasting and burpees. It's I think one of the things I've tried to bring across, and we've got a, an academy philosophy that's called Own It. So ownership, work ethic, no excuses in the determination and teamwork. And we have these common kind of roaming core values of, of selfish, unselfishness and cheerfulness in the face of adversity and excellence. And so I think it's that kind of not like looking at the minutia, but the big thing of like, how can you set up an environment and a culture and drive behaviors before the sport itself? So if a player isn't upholding those values of owning it, then we've got it on giant signs either side of the building you know, we'll pull the player up on that. We, we've got it. We can relate to it. If somebody's not putting the work in, we can pull out work, uh, work ethic. If, if they're giving excuses as to why they're, on, they're late or they've not got the right equipment, then it's a no excuses call out. Um, and equally, if somebody stands out in a session, we give them an exceptional point. So one of the older boys of the day, he led the warm up. He took a new player through the jump circuit. And then when we did some shuttle runs, he, he outworked everybody. So he got an exceptional point. So he's like a bright spot. Like that's what we expect. That's the behaviors. You know, if you want to get these, this exceptional point, though, that's the level. So again, culture, behaviors, 
um, a, a bigger and probably more impactful. So that's kind of probably what I brought in and probably used the most. I think that culture piece is, is critical. We see that throughout many, you know, academy settings, you see that the ones that really have this sort of culture of work ethic and accountability and, and all that stuff, it really takes them to another level. Sometimes the actual things that you do within a session aren't as, as important. Um, but I do want to get into a little bit about how your approach uh, or the approach you take in terms of, um, you know, long-term athletic development and, and what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis, keeping in mind, you know, the development of these players, you know, cause you get players sometimes that are, I mean, I don't know how old they are, but I'm guessing around, you know, seven, eight from what I see on, on some of your videos. Um, and they may stay with you for, for five, six, seven, eight, even 10 years. Um, can you take us through what, what long-term athletic development means to you? Yeah, I think like a little story that kind of underpins it is like, yeah, you mentioned I've done some stuff on the world tour and yeah, I enjoyed it, but like sending off some kids to American universities that I've worked with for eight to nine years, it's much more rewarding. You've had much bigger impact on them as a person and as an athlete and as a player. Mm. So it's kind of, we talk about having a tots to tour mentality or a tots to tour player pathway in the building because we literally do have the mini reds and the six all the way through to aspiring pros and actually we've had some pros accessing the program recently and we'll be doing it in the new year so within the building we actually do it um and for me like my early career very very driven very very elitist mindset because of the marines that's the career path i wanted to do, work on yes i'm working with tots but the goal is to be on the tour but now got that experience and you know i've been doing this job 11 years now it's about the reverse engineering of it so okay mm. if that's what's required at tour level how do we actually start that from the ground up with our mini reds are under sixes so you know heavily influenced and, and, and we'll use the youth physical development model from Rodri Lloyd that will kind of be a, a model that I would re refer to so that heavier um, focus on the fundamental movement skills earlier on and ensuring they're not just touched on but the goal is to master those so it's the mastery of the fundamentals mm. um, for example you know, worked on a red session this week and there was like a contrasting court. There was one guys that have obviously played a bit of tennis because they could hit forehands, backhands, deal with short balls and things overhead. Guys on the next court, not so much because they haven't yet mastered throwing and catching in different manners. So it's ensuring that we don't fast track them, uh, mm. ensuring that we, you know, we have a, an element of fun, but an element of mastery as well. Um, one of the things that I see a lot of time in that YPD model is that, in the lower ends that it relates to it being very low structure all the way through to very high structure. And I think outwardly looking in, it might look like that, but the skills required to make it seem like unstructured, but still tick the boxes, you know, that kind of hiding the work, the chocolate covered broccoli, as Mike Barrell says, like get the good work in, but sneak it in there, create a fun environment and a full fun session. But you're still looking at those key qualities, like you said before, the strength, the stability, the coordination, how can I interweave and, and work on all those things? So at that youngest end, I would call it like the fundamental end age as we transition on more into your foundational development and then into kind of performance. So it kind of runs you red 
orange, green, early, early football experience. So we just make sure that we kind of just nail the fundamentals, but always educating how those fundamentals underpin the specific. So if we're working on lunges, making them well, you know, you're going to hit that position when you're playing tennis. So therefore that's a shape that you need to understand and master and be able to move and recognize in your own body and recognize in other people's bodies. Yeah. And let's just backtrack for a second. We're going to get into um, the smash shortly. So all those different things that you work on. Um, but just a quick question. What, what are the fundamentals? So you, you mentioned catching and throwing, but what else is in there that from a really young age, kids should be doing? And they may have been doing it, you know, kind of in the playground before, but now, you know, we've taken this role as athletic development coaches where we kind of have to do it a little bit more on our end. So what are those fundamentals? Yeah, so just to underpin what you were saying, I was reading a piece from Avery Fagenbaum and those guys around what they call I think it's integrating new muscular training. It's, it's athletic development, like you say. And how soon should that start? Well, as you've alluded to, the lack of free play, the lack of crawling and climbing trees and hanging in the park, it, all that stuff has reduced considerably. And that's before we even talk about lockdown. But and mm. in general, that has really become the trend that kids are becoming almost sedentary. Yeah. So therefore, we have to do these things. So, okay, what is it? Athletic movement, for me, is fundamental movement skills and fundamental movement shapes. So the skills would come under locomotion, balance and stability, and manipulation. So locomotion is you're running, you're hopping, you're skipping, you're jumping, you're galloping. Your manipulation is your sport skills. You're throwing, you're catching, you're kicking, you're punting, you're striking. Balance and stability would be stretching and reaching and twisting sliding and, and gliding all these sort of tasks that you know if somebody goes through the through the years they might be gliding on the ice in the winter and and sprinting around the, the the football pitch in the summer so you've got your skills and your shapes so your shapes are the easiest way to explain it is what would you see somebody do in the gym okay they would do squats they would do hinges they would do lunges they would push the body forward and back and up and down so combining both of those these like kind of more open type movements with the kind of more static movements of a squat and a lunge, these two together, the mastery of those starts to really lay that foundation for athletic movement. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's uh, uh, I love that just also because I have a three-year-old and, you know, you don't need to, do, to, to have them do sessions already at, at his age. We're walking to daycare and I'm asking him to skip or skipping or we're, we're hopping or I'm asking him to jump on the bed or we're sliding on the hard floor uh, at home, hardwood floor at home, you know, like we're, we're catching. He's not great at all these things, but he's, you know, he's getting exposed to it um, at a fairly early age. And I think that's kind of, you know, lacking a little bit, but it's, it's great that we have coaches like, like yourself who are, you know, going through these different things from a really early age. Like what, how old are, are the kids that you start with? Yeah. So I think the kids the other day were like five and six. Mm. Yeah. Five and six. So that's kind of, we've just done a big outreach in primary school. So we've got new guys coming in at that lower end, but yeah, like under sixes and, and, and under eights and the youngest guys that we were with. Yeah. 
yeah so that's uh that's quite that's probably the right time to introduce all these different things and how, how much is it you know equal proportions of these different qualities or um are you focusing on one more than the other um so like you've mentioned the smash <clears throat> model or smash curriculum um in the forces we use mnemonics a lot to remember things so it's where smash came from from and kind of we work on the strength the movement the agility stability and honing coordination skills so we would like to touch on all of those and then we might emphasize one and then something i'm trialing recently that i got from chris both is just to have a theme um for two weeks in a row something you might measure so it almost becomes well what i would like to call performance tracking versus performance testing so yeah. they don't see it as a testing day oh we're doing the sprint again oh we're not doing the sprint why oh we're going to do the throw so just weaving it in and if you, if we cycle through every couple of weeks um you, you're picking up some numbers you can see the progress across the year but you can make it competitive they're trying to beat the next person they're trying to beat their own score um so that's something we're trying i think might be something we stick with for this year um but yeah within a session if it's the younger end um the youngest the other day i kind of kept it as i got i think i went three exercises we did some learning how to hold a um, ready position and then rotate across the body and twist and pivot at the feet so even though there's quite a few things going on for them to coordinate we practice a few shuffle steps and then we did some different throwing and catching i threw to them they caught it in a little net and then they took the balls and they were able to throw it into the bucket so they've gone from mm. catching and trying different throws some were going over arms some were going under arms it's kind of just that's what i'll do so I just kept rotating through these little skills yeah. when they go to orange ball then it will be a little bit it will be more structured and it will be smash and the beauty of having the structure is they learn it they learn the structure and they know what to expect so for example our progressions of the squats it just changes a little bit from from session to seven level level to level but there's still core qualities or things that you might look for in a squat remain the same and we just tweak it so it makes the session go much quicker you get through a lot of the exercises and if you dangle the carrot of a game at the end they tend to work pretty hard uh, mm -hmm. for that extra five or ten minutes at the end so we reward that and, and and all little tricks that you can put in and get them to coach each other to watch each other you know work to rest one guy squats while the other one watches they're getting that kind of neural mirror rep they get a rep within their own um their own brain so we'll use little tricks like that or somebody might excel in a movement and we watch it and we try and work out why somebody might not do great you ask the permission please are you okay to demonstrate that uh, compare and contrast videoing there's lots of videoing um videoing them video me compare the two so they're all like little tips and tricks that i do is just to kind of the younger like two or th like three or four things orange ball will hit all five plus a game and then green you're just starting to get be a little bit more disciplined with them as well what you're expecting in terms of the behavior and the effort and their intensity so everything just starts to crank up whether that's the intensity of the training or the demand from them from the only and do you see massive differences in you know abilities and coordinations so if you have two six-year-olds do you see big differences in who can catch and throw and, and move well? For sure, for sure. Um, and it's all going to be coming from 
what their background is, what their family's like. If it's a sporty family, there's a good chance they've, they've exposed to lots of different activities. You know, using lockdown as an example, again, we may have had two families, one sporty, one academic, and both will have suffered because one was getting great homeschooling, the other wasn't. One was still moving and going in the garden when we were allowed to go into the park and the other one maybe not so much. So we've had this contrast, but yeah, we do have different levels. What we've found as well is being involved in school actually deteriorates your athleticism. So Simon Brundish from um, Strength Club Superheroes, which uh, Supermovers is, is founded. We work on it together. Um, he's tracked entry level at school, youngest level, do a plank. Okay, there's your score. And within three or four years, it, it can drop, or sorry, within three years, it can drop to up by 75% because they've gone from being active toddlers to sitting on the butt all day at school. So <clears throat> even sport itself and, and the, you know, so much more, they're on the tablets and the iPads and the phones. It's just becoming the norm now to move less and less and less. It's, it's incredible how, you know, environment influences it. Do you think there's some genetic components there as well from what you see? You know, at, at what age do we really start to see them? Because it's, you know, if you have a five or six year old, they're they're not going to be they're 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 going to need a lot of kind of development still, right? But you just see someone and it's just like from from day one, it's like wow, you mm. know, they can move. Yeah, and for sure, there's difference in physiology with different ethnicities. There just is. There's no denying that. So you know, certain ethnicities are going to be um less springy than the others there's going to be other ethnicities who are naturally powerful um you know we'll see that athletic kid come in who can sprint and jump but can't actually decelerate um let's say you see the kids that have been exposed to other sports you know like i've got a three-year-old as well and she goes to a class a couple of times a, Monday, a saturday and a sunday down the gym and they do different activities the scootering and the football and doing over a task you see that kid that's had that and that can be linked to like financial setups and the kid that goes to a private school to a state school so it's again it always comes back to that kind of culture the environment and, and the family unit as well driving that we've got certain parents who love it you know they'll be here at the weekend doing a bit of extra working on coordination uh, they'll be working on certain drills that maybe they've struggled with in, in the week um, the key thing is we have super movers uh, at home programs so they can be practicing at home as well and refining all these skills and learning how to move better but yeah i'd say genetically but yeah yeah we definitely see that you'd see the sharper kid the stiff kid like the dimineer amongst them and you know the kid who's just like maybe not as agile but very strong and powerful in the gym um mm. yeah you, you do see different types of um of athletes even at a younger age yeah mm. uh, and just for listeners to Get a little background. Not everyone might be familiar with the different tennis, um, you know, progressions: red, red, sorry, red, orange, and and green dot. Prior to using a real yeah. tennis ball, so there's different age groups. They're they're classified under different age categories. Have you seen? Because you you you've seen it firsthand now, utilizing the system. Um, is it is it beneficial? Because there's there's still a lot of folks out there that, particularly parents who have played at a at a decent level, um, who are just like, oh, I played with a real tennis ball from day one. Uh, you know, 
and my kids doing that. You know, I, I, I've seen these parents slash parent coaches that uh, take this approach. Um, I'm a little cringy when I, when I see that because I've seen the benefits, but what can you tell us about that? Yeah, for sure. There's always, again, just like we talked about different athletes, there's going to be different spectrums to tennis ability. So you do have under 10 players playing internationally on full ball. That happens a little more, I think, on full ball in the States, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So that happens. So they've potentially been involved in the sport longer. They've got parents that, that, that they've been exposed to the, the actual sport for longer and the skills. But I think where the mini tennis comes in, where the different colored balls and a different color size courts comes in is what can I use that ball and that size court to develop? Like what are going to be the core competencies I can use this constraint for? Mm. So rather than just seeing it as something where they're holding the player back before they're allowed to go on a full ball, okay, these are the dimensions you know, this is the weight of the ball, the speed of the ball. So therefore, what can I really look to hammer? What are the core competencies that by the end they come off red should be ticked? Now, we've got an orange. So like, obviously from us, we will talk about the movement demands are going to change because the actual court's now grown. Um, it's longer, it's wider. So I think it's using the coloured balls to tick all the technical, tactical um, elements that need to be ticked to lay the foundation to be more success, successful at the next ball before they hit full ball rather yeah. than seeing it as a, as a tool to hold people back it's just potentially there to enhance skill acquisition to develop athletic ability not rushing ahead too but if a player is excelling and they put the head above the parapet they I, I agree they shouldn't be held back so if they can excel on the ball above or the ball next one again, then let them do it. You know, um, that's where I think the, the potential arguments come if the player uh, is excelling on the next ball, the ball, and they, they have to request, I think you have to, you have to risk, request for a passport to play up. That's probably where you could, you could argue that it's a bit restrictive. But yeah, I think I would, I would really direct coaches to think what you can use that level to really master what doesn't what's not needed yet at mini, at mini red mm. you know what is definitely needed at green for example and i think we can do a job as trainers as well is to as a, a tennis coach would be the guy would the player would compete at red but maybe does some training on orange we should do the same physically we should do a star drill on red but now we should do a star drill also on orange so they get used to the movement demands for example so it's that kind of if you want to use the fancy word phase potentiation i would just starting to lay the foundations so when they do step up to orange it isn't a big change and um, they're used to it athletically as well as they're technically yeah yeah absolutely i think they're you're spot on in the sense that there's a kind of a tactical and skill acquisition piece to it as well as this physical piece to it right like we've seen actually studies have shown and federations have have shown that when you play at orange ball, you're probably playing the tactics as, as you would when you're 18 or 20 years old, as close to if you've, if you've gone through that, you know, those different uh, progressions in terms of the different court sizes and stuff. Um, and when, and even when it's, when it's red ball, we've seen that if you, if you do red ball, but you maintain the, the height of the net, 
versus if you decrease the height of the net, it's a massive difference in how a, a kid moves around the court, how they perceive the court. Um, so that's going to change, change a lot of things as well. But also as the court gets bigger, you're saying, I mean, are they even prepared from a physical standpoint to be able to get to balls that um, are going to be a lot more challenging now, right? Yeah, sure. And I guess it's like, as long as the players are playing a progressive game style, I know it's pretty heavy to be saying for a little mini rev, but there's two ways you can play a mini rev. That's that's my level of tennis. Mm. Um, and I might play a player who plays not to lose and just kind of bunts it about, or I might play a player who absolutely hammers me because they're playing, as you said, they're playing the tennis. They'll want to play on pool ball. So mm. you, I guess the players can almost abuse the, the system and, and, and how light, light the ball is and just kind of, tactically just using moon balling for example and there's a per person playing more progressive but yeah that that the element are they physically ready you know we've seen that at the very very highest level of you know the guys 18 19 20 go on the world tour and start playing with the biggest players they break down physically because they just can't the level is so out of this world that the body's just not ready for it and that's like a a war of attrition before they adapt and then they can hold their own um but yeah i think be proactive just as you, as the tennis coaches preparing them for the next ball physically they should be doing the same yeah yeah that's that's cool that's a nice way to look at it especially you know relating it to to just the regular court players that make that jump even you go from try going from high school to college tennis or college to pro it just your skill might be there like like you're saying but you just might not be physically prepared to either get to balls or withstand, you know, the demands of a match or even the demands of a season because you got to play now 20, 25 weeks of the year. So that makes it a lot more, more challenging. Um, I want to just take a little detour here for a second and talk about coordination because this is a topic, I mean, it's, it's kind of a hot topic in performance circles and everyone has a different opinion on it. You've written a fair bit about it. You've, you have a lot of videos on it. Uh, I think, I believe that you've gotten a lot of um, information from, from Swiss tennis on this topic. Um, can, you, can you talk a little bit, what, what's coordination in your eyes and what are the kind of underpinning qualities that make up coordination? Yeah, so I'll start with, I think, the longer you do this job or involve it, everything's coordination. Hmm. Yeah. Every, like every, nothing isn't quite so like a squat the correct way to squat for that person's body and not getting them to do it is coordination it's not always juggling balls and, and dancing to tunes and metronomes yeah. and things like that so that's my first caveat and then you've got like john kiley's uh definition of it so it's the ability of the body to execute a task with the least amount of uptake of energy so what we're just talking about the guys playing at higher levels i might get a parent say oh my kid is so unfit all right he plays under 12s and he's about played against the under 16s he's not unfit he's just having to run hell of a lot harder and he's more in inefficient so we've even got stats where we've seen andy murray and a young um young aspiring british pro pro and the the stats and the accelerometers etc are higher for the young guy is he mm. working hard or is he faster no, he's probably just more inefficient. So I think, again, it's like everything's coordination. Coordination is efficiency and then efficiency, you know, less toll on the body and more opportunities to be more skillful. But 
yeah, like, like I said earlier, we like a mnemonic in the forces. So mine is R, B, radio. Rhythm, balance, reactions, adaptability, differentiation, interoperability, and orientation. So yeah, I, I had some kind of stuff from the Swiss guys. Uh, spent some time with Benny Linder. That's underpinned by Pierre Paganini's um, training philosophies. And there's a book, Athletic Skills Model. The Athletic Skills Model. I think they're mainly Dutch guys. They talk a lot about similar language. So mm. rhythm, it could be uh, dancing. It could be skipping to a metronome. It could be plyometrics. So that's what we use a lot of different kind of plyo type activities for rhythm. Balance, static, dynamic. We talked earlier about twisting and bending and reaching. Reactions. So we can have both specific and non-specific. So for our guys, obviously it's visual, but also reacting to a tap on the shoulder or a call of a whistle. Um, from there, you've got your adaptability. We're a sport that plays on multiple surfaces in different conditions so there's, you know our guys are exposed to indoor and outdoor hard different types of clay indoor and outdoor astroturf um so there's multiple surfaces we need to adapt to we need to adapt to other people's game styles we need to adapt our game plan based on that day differentiation so we might think about that as like just like it's as simple as the turning of the shoulders and the hips like can we spin and turn and have the hips and uh, shoulders in different um, in different directions. Can we differentiate hitting with pace, hitting with shape, hitting with feel? Uh, interoperability will be linking skills together. Um, so you know we're tracking the ball whilst moving while while rotating the upper body, for example, or on a simplistic scale. Um, you know, using something like the like Ruben Edges, like a layering. So here's drill 1.0 skipping here's 1.1 skipping with alter alternating feet 1.2 skipping on one leg etc etc so you just build it and build it and build it and that's where you can really mm. challenge people's coordination take them to the edge of chaos if it starts to break down just pull them back a level uh, ensuring that all players can be challenged and orientation last so yeah. i did not get it written down so orientation drop shots to volley can I deal with some something down here to up here? Yeah. Uh, can I, you know, you know, orientate? Can I hit? Be still move, still track the ball, uh, go in a crazy position where I actually end up turning my back to the net, hitting with backhand, then quickly orientate and see. Um, orientating by your footwork to the correct place on the court tactically. So they all have these like underpinning simplicity. They all have some complexity and they, and they can all be related to the court as well. So it's, mm. it's, it's very, very hard to unpick things um, and say that not training coordination uh, and it doesn't have to involve a balloon. So I think, you know, the articles that I've written, I always go, context is king. And as I've been hammered by my, mindset, my mentor, if you're doing something, you need to be able to answer why you're doing it at least five times. And mm. that's that's the issue is that, you know, Instagram's a great place to, to find information, but the danger is a coach goes on an Instagram, oh, I like that, I like that drill, goes to the court, introduces it to his players, he doesn't understand the coaching points, he doesn't understand the progressions or regressions. Hmm. 
So that can go many ways. That can be, oh, I can't believe you can't do it. I can't believe you do it. This is so easy. Watch me, I can do it. Mm. Whereas if you just give them a bit of a regression, they can see. Or the kid goes, yeah, I've, I've done that. It's really easy. Now what? Oh, I don't know. Or they might just lose, you know, you can lose a little bit of respect from your players, try a drill, can't really explain it properly. Oh, let's move on. So you've got to be careful. So it's just, it's just taking up a little bit of a time. Okay, what is it developing? How could I make it easier? How can I make it harder? How could I link it with other skills? How could I do it in different ways? And then it's just a little bit more thought out. So it's not random. It's not literally picking a drill up off Instagram. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the key. That's that, that's that context piece. And you know, you and I work with different population. I haven't worked with young kids in in a number of years. The youngest player I I've coached recently is maybe 16 years old or 17. And typically I get college and players who are transitioning from college or a few pros. And for us, coordination is, I mean, playing tennis is a form of coordination and will challenge each of those things. Right. And that's what coaches, tennis coaches need to be aware of as well. I think on the athletic development side, the, the, coaches like the physical preparation coaches these need these things need to be kind of tackled off the court but relatable to the court on the court you need to have rhythm and you know with your ground strokes and your serve um you need to be able to hit with balance or when you're off balance regain balance so there's all these different things and you can challenge players more and more like the simplest way to challenge a young player is like you actually said previously is okay if they're a red ball player move them into orange for a sec for for a session or a, um you know a few minutes or a drill or whatever that is going to challenge their coordination abilities because the ball is faster they're playing against a bigger opponent that opponent's moving them around more you know so all these different things are are kind of happening all at once um so i i mean i i love the the mnemonics in general but but this one is 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 really uh, important. But it's like a physio screening as well. Like so, like yeah, evolution tennis. He has these great little diagrams of different guys, different little players for different balls, and mm. has little zones. Little zones where okay, red ball trains this zone. This you know, you can imagine just above shoulder height, just below, pretty much it. You know, the next ball starts to increase, kind of above head height, and and so on and so forth. So the areas that that ball um, is there to develop, um, that the, 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 the player's going to be exposed to. So when we used to screen our players, our high-level players, I would talk about that kind of Veruvian man, like imagine a, a big sphere and your right arm should be able to go in a big circle. Uh, it should be able to go out to the side, so on and so forth. So if you fail um, a certain physio test, it would highlight, actually, you cannot control your shoulder hitching up, like going up or winging. Mm. So that, that part, that sphere there, really, you don't own that. So there's two things going to go on. The more you hit in that zone, you're going to be have a heightened risk of injury. And B, technically, tactically, you can't deal with that ball. So a smart player, your goal is you, even in the warm-up you can do it, is just put them in a few different shapes, hit in a few different positions and see what they don't like. They don't, oh God, they don't like that, that, that backhand low. Mm. To the outside of the body and that's 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 part of what you're trying to do and we, that's what we try and say is with the um 
with the super movers is these integrated tennis shapes. Understand and try and recognize what a good shape looks like in the body for yourself, but also what a bad shape on the other side. You're trying to make their shape look bad so you receive uh, a short ball or you force an error. Uh, there was a study about servers um, and then like a set of glasses, looking at their own eye and looking at what they're looking at. So the higher level the server, the better they were able to read the serve of the opponent, therefore enhance their returning abilities. Mm. Similarly at the young end, okay, all right, if I, if I find them, get them to be on one leg or I get them to collapse their body forward, actually I, I, I win more points. So it's kind of this back and forth of, of, of what's your body capable of doing. If it's not capable of doing, you don't own skills in that area, you heighten your risk of injury. And the player, you know, tactically, the, the opponent will pick up on that and then that'll be your weakness. High back and they hate it. I'm going to just aim to go there as much as possible. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the, the whole point about tennis anyways. You're trying to... I, I had a post about this. It's For me, it's timing. I'm trying to time the ball well, you know? And by timing the ball well, sometimes I need to get into a lunge position, keep my body upright while having a good impact. But if I can disrupt my opponent's timing, like you said, get them out of this comfort impact, get them off balance, get them leaning forward, um, then I have a higher chance of winning. How do you do this stuff with, with tennis coaches? How do you guys integrate all this, all this different work? Because you're working on the court with players a fair bit. Are you on court during some of their tennis sessions or are you talking with the coaches? How are you guys meshing all these various qualities? Yeah, so I try and um, observe them. I'm quite lucky our gym is on the court. Mm. So even if I'm in a session, a group session or whatever, and there's a break, I can cast my eye along the courts and I can see a lot. And it's great because it basically sits, the gym doors sit pretty much on the baseline you get to see loads of things like their ability to move up and back, um, heel toe, like the people who load the toe and things like this. So you can see quite a lot from that angle. So that's beneficial where and when possible, get on court with the coach as well. Uh, we share videos. Um, the player can come to me and say, you know, I'll always ask what you've been working on. What have you struggling with? Um, oh, I really struggle with this. And because I've been doing a little while and I've got this, library of movements for super moves like oh do you know what? let's try that drill there and let's see how you get on so you know a player came over ah, working on this movement moving deep okay let's have a little look at it so it's an orientation drill so you kind of switch your feet move deep to your forehand switch your feet move to your deep to your backhand and, th and the movement just didn't look smooth on the backhand side it was just like disrupted it looked a bit off balance so i just came changing my observation angles and he'd end up in a really narrow base when he stopped and then recovered. So I was like, right, that's what we need to work on. And then mm. just footwork, then with the ball, and he's really struggling. I said, do you know what? If I'm playing you, I'm just hammering deep back. And he just started laughing and going, everybody does. So it's, it's a combination of feedback from the player from training, feedback from the player in tournaments, um, me being on the court, and then this kind of triangle of in the middle the shapes so understanding the basic shapes that underpin tennis then it's the observation skills and trying to get to the point where everybody's looking at the movement with a similar lens so the technical coach the snc coach and even the player and maybe the parent too so we're kind of clear on what we're looking for 
Then when we talk about it, there's clarity of the language. So we're not using sports science language, we're simplifying it. Mm. Footwork language needs to be simple. Um, so we're using like Louis Kyers type model. And then if there is movement and there's issues, okay, what's the intervention? And then if the intervention, what is it? Who's going to do it? Who's accountable for it? And how long is it going to take? So a little project I'm working on now, I've got a call with a guy called Sean Mishka later tonight is, okay, so if I'm looking at the player and we're looking at kind of from very gen general stuff to specific position, how well, you know, do they have the range of motions in the joint? Can they actually hold a shape? I said like in a hold, like can just hold the bottom of a squat, for example, so an isometric. Can you then execute clean patterns, squats, lunges, uh, even fundamental movement skills? Can we do that now position pattern power? Can we jump and hop and sprint and do the things at speed? And then finally, um, transfer. So position pattern power, transfer to the core. The further down the food chain, so if it's a really bad issue, they can't push from the forehand side and it ends up being a really tight um, hip, then that's probably going to take the longest because we've got to develop the range of motion, the stability, the strength, and then the power. But if it's a coordination issue, depending on how clock complex it is, it might literally take a few drills. It might take one session to bring their awareness to it. And that, for me, is a real differentiator for a, a really good player is you identify something, you kind of video it, you look at it, you try a few drills, and they pick it up like that. They're, the, they're going to be the player because they just fix things so quickly. Um, but yeah, it's this, this continuum of it's something within the body. It's a pattern. It's a skill acquisition issue. And I can't give you the answer now. That's, that's what I'm going to start looking into is just like, if it is a skill acquisition issue, what are the timeframes? What, what, what could be the timeframes? So mm -hmm. just so you can give an answer and, and, and that, in that, in, in that situation where we're on, we're all on the court together, the player, me, the SNC, and the player. I'm very open and honest to involve the player and be honest to say, we don't know the answer to this. We are actually talking about you. Are you okay with that? We're trying to crack the code of why X is happening. Um, and when you involve them, they, they listen and, 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 and they accept that you're trialing different things and some things will work and some things won't. But it's about trying and just, and, and just being creative with different ways of addressing that potential issue. Yeah, I think it's super important to get uh, also the players involved. I mean, it's one thing for the physical coach and the tennis coach to to talk to each other. Uh, I mean, that's that should be, you know, second nature at this point in all, all academy and um, performance settings. But getting the players involved, even at a young age, you know, th there is I mean, there's research on this that it's more effective to get players involved and even get them sometimes to lead in, in the discussion. You know, I'm having trouble here. I'd like to work on this a little bit more. Um, you know, I think that's, that's super critical rather than just this one way street, you know? Yeah. And that's what I'm finding the videoing coming in. Like you struck a video of them doing something incorrectly, video me doing it hopefully correctly. Okay, watch me, watch you. Do you see anything? No. Right, okay. And then I'll go, right, look at the lower body. Do you see now? No. Okay, look more specifically at the foot. Do you see now? Ah, I see it now. So you just kind of go global to, to kind, of, kind of micro, like 
Yeah. There's the big picture. And and if and, and don't, many coaches, I think, assume they know. So they could show them a video and, and like, there's loads of players who will just go, yeah, yeah, I get it, I get it. But they don't get it. You know, it's, it's okay for them to get it wrong. And that's what I always say. It's okay to obviously fail, you know, in anything in life. But you, you can fail this drill and it's okay because your body's now going to learn, okay, that's not the way to do it. Then go the other way, you know, and, and that, 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 that great environment where they're just trying different things. You know, they might land short, so the next time they land longer, then you land right on the spot. So, yeah, I think create an opportunity where the, the player is involved. They understand um, how to spot incorrect technique and, and just help them along that journey. And, and it's so, so good when you might be working on landing mechanics and they get one wrong and they go, ah, I didn't, I didn't do this. And you're like, great, you're now coaching yourself. Yeah. You know, if you can make yourself redundant, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean... It's, it's amazing doing this early on with players is so important. I get college players or players out of college who oftentimes are a bit robotic. They're just kind of following orders and always looking for confirmation or an answer. And oftentimes I'm just silent because I, I don't want at that level, if you're 20, 22, um, you need to really... Be, be capable of, uh, of you know, uh, taking ownership of, of your own tennis. But if they're not used to it because they've been kind of spoon-fed from an early age, then it becomes difficult. And it's a process that we got to go through um, where they start to self-coach and, um, and, and take a little bit more of that, that responsibility. How, how are you finding it with players who who maybe don't take take that responsibility or they don't want to you know they just want to hear what they have to do you know how do you encounter those types of players yeah and it's like it's like you can't wear the same hat for everybody so like early in my career it was like if you weren't like super super dedicated and disciplined and everything then i had a problem with it but then like one of my mentors like you can't wear your green beret for everyone like it's not going to fit everyone. So it's kind of like we can have this ideal model where the player self-corrects and et cetera. But actually they might be just the, 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 the personality type might be, do you know what? Just tell me, just tell me, you know, and similarly on, on the match court, you know, you give them some pretty clear uh, goals, some clear patterns of play to use against a certain player game style and go like that. And I was talking to one of my coaches the other day and, this, he's talked about a coach and I think he had these you know, let, let's say 25 patterns of play and they're even on the wall and they would play and play and play and he's like look if you can use this like cracking a code you know this kind of player use this if you do that use this pattern of play and he said it was great unless two of his players played each other because the match would last forever because they both kind of knew what each one was doing but yeah that's just the way some people are some people you know love to be told what to do even though I was in the military I hated being told what to do I still don't like being told what to do um I like to think of my own ways to do things but yeah I think we don't want to put people in boxes and if people don't fit the box you know you've got to have an open mind as a coach and if it doesn't work it's not working you and a player then you just the best thing is to get that player to work with another coach you know if, if your styles massively clash it's never going to be 
a good environment for that player. They're, they're going to feel it. They're probably going to feel anxious about that session because they always get shouted at or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got to kind of know what players uh, work better with you than others. Uh, and yeah, if it's not working out, then exploring other options. I know you got to get on court here uh, and back back at it with some of your players. So just to kind of wrap things up, um, tell us a little bit about your super movers uh, program, how people can get involved. I would totally recommend, I mean, if you're a junior or, or working with juniors or parent listening to this, uh, you know, this is just something so easy that players can do. I mean, I've seen it firsthand and it's, it's really it's touching on everything that we kind of spoke about and, and which is just fundamental movements. So tell us where people can kind of learn more about this and, uh, and get access to it. Yeah. So, so the website is tennissupermovers.com and so we've got information on there to see what I'm about and what the kind of content that we do with our guys. My Instagram is Howard Green Supermovers. But yeah, it was, like I say, Smash. The, the mnemonic Smash has been on my laptop probably eight years. Easy. Easy eight years because I came up with this idea and never really saw it through. So it's it's kind of um, Simon, who's Simon Brundish, who's, who's forced me to kind of simplify it. Um, so... Yeah, that's been the biggest development is to actually simplify it, put it into streams of exercises, put it in as um, progressions. So, as you say, it nails the fundamentals, but it nails the fundamentals in a tennis way. So mm-hmm. I will explain to you why you're doing this exercise, why it will it will benefit you as a tennis player. Um we have eight foundational levels within every level. There's three session plans that focus on different movement. So we've got session one, forward and back. Then we have side to side and multi-directional stuff within that. Um, we'll reflect it. So if it's a side to side session, we'll do a lateral lunge. If it's forward and back, we do a forward lunge. And then as a coach and a player, you can match up those kind of movement patterns to mm-hmm. the session content you're going to do that day. So that's, that's another benefit. So effectively, it was a pivot in lockdown. Um, but basically our, our mission is to kind of bring world-class tennis fitness to under 12, under 12 players wherever they are uh, at any time um, so we've kind of we want to enable tennis coaching parents and players to get kind of an access to this kind of world-class tennis FC. I've been doing it 11 years I've kind of tried and tested we want to remove movement as a barrier to lifelong participation in tennis and enjoying the sport and then engage, educate, and empower the tennis coaches, parents, and players about long-term athlete development, like we talked today. We've developed this curriculum-based program that really, really focuses on the mastery of fundamental movements, of on-court movement, of on-court tennis movement, um, and then really working on these integrated tennis shapes, the stuff that we do. I won't, you know, the, the buy-in I gain with my athletes is by telling them, we do this for your split step. We do this for your open stance forehand or doing a screening with a brand new player and they do a certain movement and you say, I bet you do this on the court. And like, how can you tell that? You know, the players move in certain ways. So we've really tried to simplify things. It's literally, it's almost like a level of trust. Trust the system. Don't try and rush it. it, it it's curriculum based. It, it's drip fed to you in a certain manner because I want you to master the level before you, you kind of move on to the next one. Mm. Um, but yeah, we, we just nail the footwork pattern. So our side to side, goes from 
sidesteps to crossovers to running steps to split steps with crossovers and it, it just enhances and enhances and grows and grows um and you know it was a pivot for lockdown it is videoed for the first two levels to be that you can complete it in the house but you don't have to you can complete it on the court um by level three the movement patterns have got bigger so they're on the tennis court already so we kind of use the first two levels to develop that kind of the skill of learning and then being disciplined and taking ownership of your own fitness. Yeah. You might be lucky that you've got a trainer at your, your club or academy and maybe you've not, but by doing these basics, it's going to make you a better mover. It's going to make you more robust, less likely to get injured. Um, yeah. It, it's just a, a simple plan, but well thought out. Um, and, and it's accessible at home. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. it, 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 it's just something that we're trying to get out there because, you know, my why at the core is to help people. If I can help tennis coaches or players move better, you know, that's great for me. I, that's what I, I love so much is completing a session, player coming away from it, enjoying it, but actually have improved something that day as well. Terrific. And like you said, I don't think it's just for uh, the junior players, the under 12s, but it's for um, the, the coaches athletic development coaches, even tennis coaches gain uh, a greater understanding of what's important, uh, how to integrate this kind of stuff into their own tennis programs. You know, even parents could, could grab onto it and, you know, start working with these things at a, at a young age because they're, maybe they're not developing them um, on the playground, like, like, you know, we did as kids. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're just about to launch the, the coach's version as well. So, okay. you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's all shot on court. The coaching points come on the video, the coaching points are below the video. So if you don't feel comfortable doing this stuff in terms of demonstrating it, that's fine. Just show them the picture of me. You know, we've got guys in Australia who literally sets it up on his laptop, presses play and delivers a session to a group of kids. Um, but yeah, we've got the coach's version that drives the education, but gives you the tools to literally just press play on the video the kids get to see it the kids do it straight away um and therefore you kind of we're really looking to impact that first six to ten minutes of a session if we can be rehearsing the correct movement patterns for the session it's going to be a better tennis session they're going to be better tennis movers so that's our mission really to really really drive this kind of mastery of, of, of on-court tennis movement yeah absolutely so that was tennis supermovers.com correct yeah tennissupermovers.com and take a look at Howard on Instagram as well if you want to get a little taste of the different types of exercises and sessions there's a ton of awesome stuff out there so Howard man thanks again for doing this this was this was awesome I learned a lot and uh, I'm sure others will have as well cheers thank you very much